0: One of the most difficult areas to complete in any social media account is the bio. The bio represents a short, composed, sneak peek into what we like, what we're about, and what we live for. Some of us have funny bios, motivational bios, and whatever the case may be, it's really just us trying to convey to other people who we are. It's a 350-character statement of our identity. Today's message by Pastor Justin McNeil entitled It Runs Deep, is all about where we get our identity. Where do we come up with who we say we are? Is it from ourselves or others or perhaps from another place? Enjoy this sermon from the City of Life Church podcast.
1: Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. Matthew 15, verses, sorry, 13, 54 through 58. This is a story of Jesus in his hometown. It says, when Jesus arrived in his hometown of Nazareth, he began teaching the people in the synagogue. Everyone was dazed, overwhelmed with astonishment over the depth of revelation that they were hearing. And they said to one another, where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? Isn't he just the woodworker's son? Isn't he just Joseph's son? Isn't his mother named Mary and his four brothers, Jacob, Joseph, Simon, and Judah, don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? How did he get all this revelation and power? And the people became offended and began to turn against him. And Jesus said, there's only one place a prophet isn't honored, his own hometown. And their great unbelief kept him from doing any mighty miracles in Nazareth. The title of this message today is, It Runs Deep. It Runs Deep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for peace that passes understanding. We ask that you would speak peace and hope and life to us today. And as we get into your word, whether we're in the room or whether we're watching online, do what only you can. Transform our lives and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking about Jesus visiting his hometown of Nazareth, kind of a small town. Did anyone here grow up in a small town? Any small town people? This is the first time in city of life that the New Yorkers can't raise their hands. It's amazing. Small town people, let me see. Like, you know, where everyone knew each other, right? Like, there's just, there's, you know, everybody's gossip. Right You know, like everyone everyone's been in each other's business. this is the kind of small town Jesus grew up in. I had the privilege, my wife and I when we were in, in college, we were studying in Israel, so we lived there for a semester, and we had a day on the calendar on like week four or five of our trip where we were going to Nazareth, and I was so excited, man, I just felt like I get to go where Jesus grew up, like how cool is that? I'm going to go there, and there's going to be this spiritual awakening in me, like who knows what's going to happen? I was just like this hyped for this day, so we're driving to Nazareth. I can't wait to get there. I'm looking out the bus window just so expectant that I'm almost going to see Jesus. Like that's what I'm kind of going with that attitude. Like he might be here. It's if he comes back why wouldn't he come here? It's his home. So we go there and we pull up to Nazareth and the first thing I see in Nazareth shining bright is a KFC sign. (laughs) And even though I was like 19 I felt like a child all of a sudden. I was like why is that here? how did it get over here? Like all these, this beautiful picture of Nazareth was suddenly crumpled in my mind. Cause it's just a KFC, a few houses. Like there's nothing there. It's a tiny little town. I thought we were going to spend like the whole day there. We weren't even there for an hour. Cause there was nothing to do. Like it's just, kfc (laughs) like there's not much there i I say all that so that you can really understand the scene that jesus is speaking in he visits his hometown to do ministry there and he begins teaching and speaking and people cannot believe the power of what they are hearing there is greatness coming from him he's operating in his god-given authority right before their eyes But Jesus' ministry started when he was 30. That gives me a lot of hope because I'm 30 and I feel like I can just get started. You know, I'm going to live to 157. We're going to do this. We're going to go all the way. But for me, like this verse, I feel like 30 is the new, I don't know, you tell me, 18? Can we do that? (laughs) Is that fair? Amen. (laughs) I get big amens from the front row. (laughs) Jesus is 30. He's starting his ministry. But what's fascinating is up until the age of 30, we have no historical account of what Jesus was doing. Why? Because he wasn't doing anything historical. He was just living, just working. He was most likely a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. He worked. He he lived in Nazareth. He ate at the KFC. Like he He was just around these people. Then he goes away for a little bit, goes to Jerusalem, gets baptized by John the Baptist. The, the heavens open, this dove lands on him. And now suddenly, he walks back to his town of Nazareth, and he's like, Hey, everybody, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the kingdom of heaven. And these people are like, Your house is right there. <laughs> like, I have a scar from when you pushed me, <laughs> and I fell down the hill. Like, I know you, Jesus, so... Don't come in here acting like you're something more than you are. We grew up with you. We know you. We know your story. We know your, your family. Joseph, he's, he's drinking the beers on the porch every night. We see him. And Mary, Mary was a virgin who was pregnant at 14. you got a shady past, Jesus. Your brothers, they cuss all the time. And Jesus, I'm dating your sister. <laughs> We're laughing because it's a little uncomfortable, but this is reality. Like his sisters lived in the town. Someone was dating Jesus' sister. He's like, no, it's not possible. Guys, there's like four people in the town. Someone's dating someone. <laughs> Have you ever met a carpenter? They drink beers. <laughs> like it's, this is the reality of that Joseph is, is not like this holy saint that, that was some priest that you would expect Jesus to come uh, into his ministry from. See, people expected that only holy people can do holy things, but Jesus starts speaking in a holy way, and they're like, no, 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 no! you can't do that because we know where you came from. And he, he meets great opposition there. And Nazareth doesn't like it because he's starting to operate in the supernatural. The world is more than happy to have believers who operate within its system. If you play by the rules of the world, believe whatever you want. The world loves Christians who behave like the world wants them to behave. It's fine, do whatever you want as long as you play by our rules. And for 30 years up until this point, Jesus behaved. He did the norm. Now, when I use that word behave, I'm going to use it a lot today. I want you to understand I'm not talking about moral and immoral. I'm not talking about right and wrong. I'm speaking about uh, what behave actually means. It means uh, acting according to the social norms of a group. So by behave, I mean Jesus did what all the other people of Nazareth did. He behaved. But now he comes back in his ministry, and he's misbehaving a little bit. He's not doing what he used to do. He's doing more. He's stepping into greatness. And now Nazareth has a problem. It's all fun and games until you start to live a supernatural life. Everyone's cool with whatever you believe until you start to step into greatness. And the saddest thing we can be as the church is normal. Because you're not meant to be normal. You're not destined to be normal. If we only live within the norms of this world, we're never being the light that Jesus called us to be. To be the light, you have to step out of the norms. And Pastor Gary always teaches this. We are not mere men. You are not mere men. You're not mere women. We're not just normal. There is greatness in us. If there's one idea you take away from today, it's I want it to be this. I am who God says I am. Put your hand on your heart and say, I am who God says I am. Ooh, you guys sound like preachers. I like this. Second service is feeling it. You're meant to bring truth and revelation wherever you go. You're meant to bring heaven into earth. You are a gateway where the supernatural can rush into the natural. You are a gate of heaven. Everywhere you step, heaven can come into the moment. I remember a, a time where I was in a circle of people who I was very much the only person in the circle who was interested in Jesus, interested in God, or anything of the sort. They were all talking about culture and love and hate. And it was a, a pretty weighty conversation. Now, I'm, I'm a bit of a critical thinker. I love dialoguing. And so I had, like, some statistics in my mind that I was thinking of from, like, a psychological perspective. I had all these things, like, in my head that I was going to talk about. And then my heart started racing. And I felt like God was, like, urging me to to, to share my, my, like, my heart, my spirit. Have you ever been in a moment where you felt the spirit really nudging you to to? misbehave a little. (laughs) What I mean by that is step outside the norm to bring heaven into the moment. So they're all talking about blogs they read, podcasts they heard, statistics they read. And I was like, well guys, since we're talking about love, let me tell you a little bit about what I've experienced. Like I grew up in church. I, I did everything right on the outside, but I was still starving on the inside because I was trying to earn something that you can't when I encountered Jesus truly when I met him his love changed my life and now being a church kid I've grown up and I found myself putting my arms around people who are covered in tats who smell like alcohol who came in off the street because I've had to realize I could never earn this love so I can't make other people earn it it's a gift given and when I experienced it for myself it changed everything on how to give it to others I'm glad you're clapping because it was silent in the room I was like and I'm really response-driven. I was like, oh, no, what, what do they think? What's going to happen? One of the, they're all just thinking, and one of the girls looks at me, and she says, you are the coolest blanking pastor I've ever met, and that almost made me want to be a Christian. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's all fun and games until you step into the greatness God's destined for you, and then people have to make a decision, and not everyone is going to like it when you start operating in the greatness you're destined for. It's what happened with Jesus. But what would happen if we as a church started stepping outside the norms, shaking things up a bit, and bringing the supernatural into our moments? As Jesus starts ministering, the people start asking questions. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Y'all know Joseph? That's, that's his kid, right? Remember? Remember Joseph and Mary? They had that weird thing. Their family's going through a lot. And now they got all these kids. They're kids. You remember? And they start questioning Jesus and his personality, <clears throat> and who he is the moment that jesus starts to rise culture wants to ground him back into his circumstance and it's the same way for us the moment you try to step out into greatness there will always be someone who says aren't they the ones that barely made it through school like isn't that the one whose facebook status always has a typo like they they misspell everything you're trying to talk to me about god aren't they the ones who wait yeah their marriage failed and they're talking about hope? Wait, he was the one that used to be addicted to drugs. Now he's talking about Jesus? Wait, wait, no, they, he, he was in prison. Wait, no, she, she's been sick her whole life, and now she's talking about God's healing power. Like, people will always, when you step into greatness, try to bring you back into circumstances, bring you back into what you're grounded in. Aren't they from St. Cloud? <laughs> Didn't they go to St. Cloud High School? Guys, I love St. Cloud. (laughs) I love where our church is planted. We're an awesome little town. Thank God for it. I've been a a youth pastor. I've been a young adult pastor. And I've seen time and time again, young adults all say the same thing. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm like, have fun. Enjoy. And then about a year later, I'm like, three, two, one. Oh, you're back. It happens every time. It happens every time. There's something special about this place. You know, you can go do your thing, come back in five years. We'll still be here with the same construction. <laughs> it's, guys, we're on the different side of the road now at least, though. Like, the traffic is in the new pavement. That's so exciting. It's the little victories. But, yeah, people will always remind you of how little you are, how, how insignificant, how disqualified you are, because they did it with Jesus. And if we're not careful, we will allow people to imprison us in a cell of their perception of who we are. If you are not careful, you will live in a cell of other people's perception of you. And you cannot base your identity on who others perceive you to be. I am who God says I am. Say it with me. I am who God says I am. Serving God is a little bit like gravity. The higher that you try to go, the more intense the pull is back to the ground. And if you want to go higher, you're going to have to push harder. And the higher you go, the harder it will be. People will always resist greatness. You can post a picture of a sandwich on Instagram, you get 500 likes. But you post a picture of like, I'm so excited to announce this new thing in my life, you get two likes. One's from your aunt. She just likes everything. People will celebrate your sandwich, but not your dream. (laughs) Why, is it because they're evil? No, this is not a message about your haters. None of us are important enough to have haters. You don't have haters. I don't have haters, (laughs) it's not about haters. The reason that it happens is because when someone steps into greatness, it exposes mediocrity in everyone else around them. It misbehaves, it stirs up the game a little bit. The reason everyone likes your sandwich is because they're eating a sandwich. But when you start to live your dream, it's hard for them to like it because they're not going after what God called them to do. greatness, spurs greatness in other people. And it exposes laziness. And so we have to be willing to step into greatness. What I love about City of Life, what the Smith family has always modeled is, we're going for greatness, and anyone who wants to come, come with us. We're going to live our dreams big. We're going to do big things, but we're not going to stop just because someone has something to say. We have to be a church that's willing to go there and push against that force of gravity. And if you've been stepping out into a dream, I really feel this so strong in my spirit, that that gravity is going to pull, and it's going to pull, and it's going to pull. But at some point, you will break through the stratosphere, and what was a law will have no effect on you anymore. There will be no pull once you step into the season God's called you, but you've got to keep pushing. That rocket has to keep pushing. That thrust has to keep going. You will experience the ease and the peace that God has for you, but you're going to have to push a little harder. You're gonna to have to trust a little more. You're gonna to have to resist against the pull of the people and things around you. And it's what Jesus faced. These people are, are pulling him, saying, Isn't he just the carpenter's son? The moment that you allow anyone to label you as just anything is the moment you have given up the possibility of so much more. You aren't just anything, friend. You aren't just anything. You might, uh, you know, you, you aren't just a parent. You aren't just a friend. You aren't just a sibling or an employee. You might be that, but you're also so much more than that. You aren't just Hispanic or white or black. You might be that on the outside, but this color of your skin does not define the fullness of who you are. You aren't just what you came from. You're so much more than that. You might be above or at or beneath the poverty line, but you aren't just what your bank account says. The world has all these external labels that would cause you to believe you are just this, but you are so much more. You are a child of the living God, created and fashioned by him. For every good work in Christ Jesus, there's greatness in you. There's purpose in you. There's authority in you. And the moment that you believe the lie that you are just a this or just a that, you're giving up the opportunity to be everything else God made you to be. Let me take it all the way home to what would seem to be one of the most common parts of our human experience. I'm just, I'm just a dad. You know, like, we love, we love our children. I love my son. But if I approach my day and say I'm just a dad, if I go through the grocery store, I'm just a dad here doing groceries, and I, I'm, my focus is going to be all on this little boy and my relationship with him, which is great. I love it. I love him, even though he asks for the fruit snacks in the grocery store every single time. And we tell him no because he knows he can't have them. It's like a new experience every time. It's like he's never been told no, and he asks in faith. He's a big believer that this time he's going to get the fruit snacks. But if you're like me and you approach your day, I'm just a dad, I'm just a dad, I'm just a dad, you're gonna go through that whole grocery store focused on this little guy, he's amazing. But if I realize I'm, I'm a dad, yes, but I'm also so much more, I might be someone else's miracle. I might be someone else's message. When I'm going down that aisle, even though I'm paying attention to this guy, I also might see the person who's walking down the aisle that needs a moment with God's hope in their life. And if I think I can't do that, I'm just a dad, then I'm forsaking the opportunity to do something else I was created for. You might be a dad. You might be a friend. You might be an employee. You might be a a student. You might be black, white, Hispanic. You might be all of those things, but you are not just that. You are made to bring heaven into earth. And in some moments, you might have to step outside of what the world calls you so you can step into what God calls you I am who God says I am (laughs) beneath all of those labels is is an identity created by God and and people will always misjudge you based on what they see even Nazareth got it wrong look at their question they said isn't this Joseph's son what a discouraging question like to get up and preach your guts out and someone to be like hey aren't you Joseph's kid it would be so deflating. But look at the beautiful irony of their question. Let's answer it. Is this Joseph's son? Is it? Split answers in the house. Is this Joseph's biological son? No. Joseph is not Jesus' dad. He's the man who raised him. He's what he came from. But there is no biological link. Joseph's DNA does not run through Jesus' veins because Jesus has a father and that father is God. However, people had a a, a misconception. Their perception of Jesus was based on something that wasn't even true. They looked at it from the outside, made their conclusions because, well, he grew up around Joseph. Joseph is his dad. This is what it must be. I know everything about Jesus since I know Joseph. Anyone who comes from that house must behave this way. They have a wrong notion. They don't even know what's in Jesus, but from the outside, from their cheap seats in the back, they're making a conclusion on who Jesus is. We have allowed people who don't even know the DNA that we possess to try and define us and make a conclusion about who we are. they're wrong because they don't know who made us they might know where you came from but they don't know where you started You started before you ever took a breath, before you ever made a mistake, you were knit together in your mother's womb by the God of the universe, before you ever sinned, before the foundation of the world, Jesus gave his life for you, so I don't care what you came through, I'm pointing you back to where you started, you belong to God, and you are who God says you are. If you believe it today, give him some praise. Jesus is not Joseph's son, even though he grew up in Joseph's house. He's the son of the living God. I am who God says I am. And identity is a really interesting thing because we construct it in a really reflective way. We learn based on what other people tell us. Like even as children in our developmental stages, what our parents say to us, what our teachers say to us matters a lot in the formation of our identity. You know, Malachi will like be moving something in the house and he goes like, oh, I'm so strong. (laughs) And I think it's cute. But the reason he's saying that is because I've said that to him. I say, Malachi, you're so strong. (laughs) You know, like we say, you're so strong. And he is simply repeating what he's heard others say about him. And it's a formative part of our life. But the problem is that we keep that habit going all the way through our lives. And we allow what other people say to us to be part of how we shape our understanding of who we are. When people start to speak negative words into our life, we start to believe it. When people walk out on us, when they hurt us, when they reject us, it all becomes a part of who we understand ourselves to be. But we have to be cautious of where we allow our identity to lie. Because people on the outside are going to look at you and say, they're Joseph's son. I know where they came from. I know their story. And I know that they can't be anything more than this. But you were never Joseph's son to begin with, friend. You belong to God. You're a child of God. You need people who can look at you and say, I know where you came from. I know what you've been through, but I know what's in you. And I'm going to remind you of that even when you can't feel it. You're made for more than this. You're better than this. You're going to rise up from this. I support you. Friends, those are the kind of people that we need in our life. And I can guarantee you, you're going to find like one or two of them. There's not many. But when you find those few, keep them close because they can remind you who you are despite what the crowd says about who you are. Jesus had to face this opposition, and the verse says that the people were amazed, astonished, and then offended. What a mood swing, right? Like, so good, amazing, offended. How did they go so fast through those emotions? The word here for offended is scandalizo in the Greek. That's where we get the word scandal. You guys are good. It's scandalous. It means a a stumbling block, something that trips someone up. They're on their way to receiving what God has for them through Jesus. They're like, wow, that's for me. Wow, that's revelation. Wow, that's so powerful. They're about to fully embrace it, and they trip on the scandal that something so good can come from someone so normal. Offended at the fact that good things are coming from an average person. And that continues to be the scandal today. God is not looking for perfectly pious people to go about and do his work. He uses a little brown guy like me. He uses a person like you who have a past, who have a story, who are broken and being put back together. And yet, in this earthen vessel, he puts heaven. He puts treasure. And the scandal is that greatness is in a normal person. There's greatness in us even though we aren't great. That's the the part of this that caused everyone to trip up. They love what Jesus was saying, but can't understand how it's coming from someone like him. And Jesus exclaims, there's only one place that a prophet is without honor. It's in his hometown. He's basically saying familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes we have the hardest time hearing God through the people close to us because we're familiar with them way too much. The people in Nazareth knew Jesus too much to receive from him, too close to be able to rep- appreciate. That's a word for church kids. I grew up in church and sometimes you can get so comfortable with the things of God that you're not even able to receive because they're like, yeah, I heard this before. Yeah, <laughs> they said that wrong, you know? And this is one of the biggest things I hear all the time. Pastor Justin, how do I hear God? I can't hear him, I can't hear him, I can't hear him. I've got a, a tough question for you today. What if he's speaking through your spouse? but you're too frustrated with their flaws and the condition of your marriage that you're not even hearing the voice of God? What if he's speaking through your kids, but you're so annoyed that you haven't taken the chance to listen? What if he's speaking through your boss that makes you so upset? What if he's speaking through your pastor? What if he's speaking through, what if he's audibly speaking into your life, but you are getting tripped up in the scandal that God, a perfect one, could speak through the people that annoy you? That's what happened in Nazareth. It's what happens to us. It'd be easy if God could just write in fire in the sky what he wants us to do, but usually he'll use people to speak into our lives so that he can see if we will trust his voice enough. He's speaking. He's speaking, but it's a matter of listening and also realizing that you're going to be the vessel. Just because people around you don't see your potential doesn't mean it's not there. But Jesus was actually not able to do many miracles in Nazareth. It says that he couldn't do much there because their perception of him. That's a huge verse theologically. Almost like too much to unpack here. But if Jesus himself was somewhat inhibited by people's perception of him, how much more should we be cautious about how it affects us? We like to tell ourselves we're impervious. Oh, it doesn't matter what other people think. But if even Jesus was inhibited by the way that people perceive him. We have to be real about our lives and how it affects us, how it directs our lives, how we are uh, uh, impacted by the way that people speak to us. And knowing that, we have got to turn our understanding of our identity all the more to who God says we are. And what I love here is Mark chapter six covers this exact same story. And he says at the end in verse five, Jesus wasn't able to do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. The story's so sad because the town missed their miracles, except for a few people. I'm thinking maybe three, maybe three people who trusted God enough to say, that's the kid I grew up next to, but Lord, if you are going to move through him, then I'm ready to receive it. (laughs) And imagine their story. Guys, I was blind my whole life and I grew up next to this little boy when he came back into our town when he was 30. I don't know why I trusted, I don't know why I believed, but I believe. And he laid his, his hands on my eyes and I could see. No one else in the town got a miracle, but I got a miracle. What I want to say to you today is, there, is going, there will always be a crowd of people who are resistant to the greatness in your life, but don't concern yourself with what the crowd says. Find the few who need you. Find the few who need you. Look at someone next to you and say, find the few. We waste so much energy trying to convince the crowd, I'm great, I'm great, there's greatness in me. Listen to me, respond to me. It does no good because the crowd is doesn't even know who you are. They don't know the greatness in you and they're not even open to what God says. So instead of trying to convince the crowd, go find the few. Look for the people who are on their last leg, who are believing for a miracle. Speak hope into their situation. For the person who is barely making it through and needs encouragement, lay your hand on their shoulder and speak life into them. You might have been doing this for just a little while this journey of faith maybe you're like one day in but I guarantee you if you're only one day in there's still dozens of people who need the experience you have because they're no days in they need someone that can show them the way someone that can speak life into them so you've got to take your place as a gateway of heaven and let God move through you to even the few that are going to receive it because even one life is worth it all even one story is worth it all even one person is worth it forget the crowd and find the few because God wants to use you to do something great in their life. You can remain standing, I'm almost done here. The second thing I'll say to you is you've got to submit to God's identity for your life. What do I mean by that? You believe it above all else. Too often we believe what other people say but it's time for us to start believing what God says. Stop giving people the power to define you who never had the power to create you. That's Pastor Jeff, that's not me, that's Pastor Jeff. It's really good, I love saying it. God created you, he's the only one who has the power to define you. To really know who you are, you have to know who he is. You are more than your upbringing, friend. You are more than the roles in your life. You're more than the sum total of your mistakes. You're more than your failures. You're more than the urges that you're feeling that are pushing you toward things that are off the path. You're more than your diagnosis. You're more than what people say. But to see that more, you have to know who Jesus is because you are who he says you are. You have to know him.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the City of Life Church Podcast. If City of Life has blessed you in any way, please consider giving by heading to col.tv and clicking on the Give tab. Have a great week.